0: RANJANAM NITYAM ANANTA ROOPAM BHAKTANUKAM PADRITA VIGRAHAM VAI ISHAVATARAM PARAMESHA MIDYAM TANGRAMAKRISHNAM SHIRASANAMAM JANANIM SARADAM DEVIM ramakrishnam jagat gurum padapadmitayo srutwa pranamami vivekananda surai sachit sukhaswarupaya swamini tapaharini So today, now we will continue with our study of Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga. So for the last few classes, we have already started studying the third chapter, The Secret of Work. And in the last class, uh, the tenets which we were studying, which Swami Vivekananda was discussing in his Karma Yoga, is that the idea of the samskara that as we act in our life, as we think in our life, it is not lost. Each and every thought, each and every act creates an impression. It creates an impression in our mind. And so, and that remains in the subconscious mind to again, just come back in the favorable circumstances it just again is uh, surfaces on the conscious mind it bubbles up in the conscious mind and it finds expression and as Swami Vivekananda was discussing we found that the subconscious mind is more powerful than the conscious mind that's why in our day-to-day life we find that sometimes in spite of our good resolutions, in spite of our will to do something in a very uh, noble manner, we find that our inherent tendencies are forcing us to behave in some other way, in some very crude way. So that shows that our conscious mind is very weak very feeble compared to the subconscious mind and then the question comes if that's the, if that's so then where is the chance of uh, transforming ourselves where is the scope of overhauling our personality how can we overhaul transform ourselves so the clue lies in the discussion itself that If anything is in the subconscious mind, how it has went there. At some point of time, I must have thought it consciously. I must have done those things consciously. And by repeating it again and again, it has become habitual. And it has went deep into my psyche to saturate my subconscious mind. So yes, subconscious mind is very powerful. But the entry to the subconscious is through the conscious mind. So the way, what's the way out? So at present, I may find that there is a repeated failure in my resolutions. I resolve something high, I resolve something noble, and I find that I am not up to it. And I sometimes get dejected. So instead of dejection, the thing which we have to keep in our mind is that the only way for spiritual evolution is 3p according to swami vivekananda he used to see he used to say that three p's are necessary for our spiritual evolution what are those 3p purity patience perseverance Purities again and again, repeatedly trying to keep the mind pure, to keep the mind in good thoughts, in good engaged in good acts, good deeds. That's our endeavor for purity. Right? It's not easy, as we were saying. The subconscious mind is very strong. It may again and again force us to go back to our old ways. But what is required is again to. Again to take the resolution, not to get dejected, and again strive for purity. And that's, that's what's perseverance, trying again and again. And it won't happen in a day or two. We need patience. And in the long run, gradually we will find that the mind has started transforming. How it happens? In the same way, the way the old thoughts, the old way of living, has entered the subconscious mind through the conscious mind. At some point of time in the process of evolution, in the past, I, when I was not aware of the noble ways of living, I thought those crude ways of living to be the be all and end all of my existence and was pursuing that. Consciously I was pursuing that. And that's the time when they have entered into my subconscious mind. And now when I've understood That that's the way which is not going to give me happiness, which is not going to give me any fulfillment, which is not going to result in any type of self-actualization. Now, I think of changing the course of my life. Now, again, it will take time. It has to go deep into my psyche, into the subconscious mind. The repeated failures, those apparent repeated failures shouldn't deject us we should know that each and every attempt is actually helping us by allowing that thought to gradually seep into our psyche. It's a very slow process. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that all the spiritual growth is not like the falling of the torrential rain. When the rain falls, the torrential rain is falling, I can see that yes, the rain is falling, the ground is getting drenched. So it is not like that. He is to say that the spiritual growth is like the falling of the dewdrops. When it has fallen, I have not noticed. In the morning, when I go out I just to walk with my bare foot on the ground on the lawn, I see that the grass is drenched. When the dewdrops has fallen, I have not noticed, but it has drenched the ground. That's how the good thoughts like the dewdrops, gradually drench our psyche. It's a very gradual process. So for that, the patience is required and the perseverance to again and again, go on trying to lead a noble life, to have noble thoughts, good thoughts, pure thoughts. Again and again, we try. And that's how gradually those ideas seep in and a time comes When my psyche gets saturated with all the good things, the common example which we uh, relate to, to explain this idea, just our mind at present is just like a cup filled with tergit contents, with impurities. The liquid which it has is full of impurities. Now what we do, we try, we just, it is already filled to the brim. Now we pour pure water on it. Now as it is filled to the brim, the water which is within, the impure water which is inside the cup will spill off, will gradually spill off. And you will find that the turgidity is getting diluted. Its concentration is getting reduced because the pure water is seeping in. And a time will come the entire turgidity will be washed off and the cup will be full of pure water. So when Swami Vivekananda was discussing that it is our inherent tendency that defines our nature, he was actually not pessimistic. He was not fatalistic. He was actually indicating, yes, it's true that the inherent tendencies defines our nature, but it can be changed. If by our persistent effort, endeavor to lead a better way of life, which we have understood is going to bring a overall transformation of my personality, which I've understood and have started uh, resorting to that good way of life. It will take time. It's not that immediate it's going to happen. But yes, in the same way, the mind, all the bad thoughts were saturated in the same way, the good thoughts, are going to saturate your mind, and then a time will come, as Swami Vivekananda was indicating, that in spite of all ourselves, that even if we are placed in a good situation, in a a very situation which is not favorable, I will find my inherent tendency has not become good. Nothing can lure me, nothing can tempt me to again go back to that old way of living. And that goodness has become something spontaneous. So that's what Swami Vivekananda was uh, discussing in the last class we were discussing those paragraph which indicates this neuroplasticity, this wiring of the mind. The mind constantly is wiring up the way we are trying to uh, change the course of life accordingly it goes wiring up and once the wiring is complete now the tendencies become spontaneous. We don't have to will it, it happens spontaneously. So that's the thing which Swami Vivekananda indicated. And the next thing which we found that in the formation of character, he was indicating that the delaying of gratification, which in the present psychological language to speak of is one of the biggest uh, factors in determining the course of our life. It's not our intelligence. It's the faculty of delaying our gratification. He was giving the example of the tortoise. It is actually an example from the Bhagavad Gita that how is a man of self-control? He's just like a tortoise. When the tortoise sees any danger, immediately it will pull back its limbs inside the shell. Nothing can bring them out. Even if you kill, it won't come out. Similarly, for a man of realization, one who is established in wisdom. For him, the reflex just becomes the opposite. When we see all the temptations in life, our senses are drawn out. For him, the reflex has changed. As we were indicating that human beings are the only responsible creatures. There's no other creatures, no other beings, not even the gods, have the capacity, have the sense of responsibility. They just uh, enjoy the results of their actions, the past actions in the human birth. In the birth as a, uh, elevated beings, as the God, or as some lower creature, they only go on experiencing the results of their actions. They don't have the capacity to change the course of their actions. Only human beings are responsible for the actions they do. As we were saying, the word responsibility can be broken as response ability. We as the human being have the ability to respond in a particular way, which may prove to be the factor for my growth. Instead of being detrimental, it can prove to be the factor of my growth. So the choice is ours. As a human being, we have the choice and we can uh, resort to the better choice. And that's the thing which was Swami Vivekananda indicating that the delaying of the gratification is the thing as spoken in the modern language which is required to grow our character. And once you're established, now the will is not required. The will is required at the beginning. Uh, We can grow our this the power of will. It's not something that constantly we have to fight with all the uh, so-called temptations of life. Our will can be so strong that we find that the temptations of life no way affects us. It can be built up just in the same way we built our muscles. How we built our muscles? We go to the gym and we work against the weight. And we think it is the working against the weight, it is working against the weight, which is building up my muscle. It's not the fact. Actually the working against the weight destroys the muscle. It doesn't build the muscle. You will find for the first time when you go to the gym and you are working against the weight and you overdo and you get cramps. Seeing others, you overdo and you get the cramps. Seeing someone else, doing for many number of times, you try to emit it. You think that why not I take the challenge and you find as you have never done, you get cramps. And naturally for the next few days, you have to take rest because of the cramp. You cannot go to the gym for working out. And now after a few days when you go, you find an interesting thing. That now you can work on the weights much more effectively much, many more number of times than you used to do previously. Previously, most probably only 10 push push-ups you could do. Now you can do after a few days rest, you can do 20 pushups or 15 push push-ups. What has happened? Now, when you overwork, when you work out beyond your limit and when the muscles cramps, it means the muscle cells have ruptured. And now the cells are intelligent. When they're growing up, when again they're regrowing, when they are regenerating, when they are reproducing, then they've already got the feedback that if we built, if we just uh, grow the exact number of muscle cells that was previously, we cannot take the stress, which at present the body is going through. The body is now stressing more. So we have to regenerate more number of cells. So it is the feedback that actually builds the muscle, not the weight against which you are working. The feedback, our body has that intelligence to give that feedback, from that our muscle grows. The willpower also grows in the same way. Sometimes we think that all these temptations are something which though is degrading for me, but I can do nothing. I cannot fight constantly with them. But the thing is this, But the real thing is the willpower grows in the same way the muscle grows. Just take the example of fasting. On some religious occasion, in all the religions, uh, there is the observation of fasting in one way or other. And so all have experienced, those who have tried to fast. What is the experience? That yes, for the first time when I'm fasting, at my normal hours, when I take my lunch, Or when I take my major, the main meal, I terribly, I feel that hunger pangs are terrible. And I think now I have to spend the entire day or entire night. It is impossible that such terrible pangs are there. But again, if we have patience, if we persevere with our fasting, if we continue with fasting, you all will experience a wonderful thing. After some time, the pangs of hunger will have a peak. But it won't continue. Sometimes we fear that how that we are going to continue with our fasting with these pangs of hunger. But those who have fasted all know the pangs of hunger after some time that will just simply vanish. You will really start feeling fresh. The body feels, starts feeling light. By the time you are supposed to have some rituals or some worship, now you find your body is very light. And that was the purpose of fasting. What has happened? That when uh, I have my, when I have the, when it is the time for me to have my main meals, the body has a biological alarm system. That alarm system alarms the body in the form of the pangs of hunger. So take food, it is a time for you to take food. The pangs of hunger, but not the bio, but nothing but the biological alarm. When you ignore it, Then the alarm systems get tired, it stops. And you find the pangs of hunger is gone. Now you can continue with your fasting without those pangs. So that's the thing which indicates how we can really develop the power, the willpower with the same feedback mechanism by which the muscles grow. There also we find the it is a feedback mechanism in the body which helps the muscles to grow. Here also the feedback mechanism. It's not the pangs of hunger, the f- feedback mechanism that yes, after some time the body understands that it is not going to yield. So what is the use of uh, keeping the alarm system on? It stops, it's from that feedback it stops. Now you find that you can easily continue with your delaying of the gratification. It's not that for infinite time you can do it, but till the time you require it, as per the, desi- as per the desired goal, as per the desired your, uh, endia- time for f- the ritual, you find you can easily do it and it has actually helped you. Now you find the body has really become very light. Your mind is alert, fresh, and you can continue with those rituals with a very, very uplifted, uh, psyche uplifted mood. That's the idea and that was the thing which Swami Vivekananda was indicating that we can, we can increase our willpower. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example. He used to say that, you know what our endeavor is like? It's just like trying to uh, go, trying to row a boat against the stream. Now the stream just imagine a uh, what you say that a uh, from the hill a there's a fall the fall, uh, when the uh, fountain when the fall the, where there's a waterfall it falls on the plain and then it breaks into bifurcates into two channels. So what will happen when you are trying to uh, come to the junction of the U of the, that it is a, the, the channel has made a U structure? So when you're coming to the come to the junction, till then you have to row very hard. Once you have came to the junction, now you will get the favorable stream. So you, now you get the favorable stream. You have to row for some time against the stream, but after some time you get the favorable stream. And now just the flow takes you to your destination. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that the willpower that way can be developed. And at, at some point of time, we <clears throat> will find that it has become favorable. I don't have to work against it. It has become so strong. Now it helps me to take me to my destination. So after discussing all those things, now we find that to be good is as if the aim of life. To have good tendencies, to have good thoughts, to have that uh, high, uh, what do you say, that that, endeavors um, in life so that you can always uh, have very good thoughts, high thoughts, good deeds as if that is the goal of life. After bringing us to this junction, now Swamiji says very interesting thing where we entered the class yesterday, that this good is also not the ultimate. The way we don't owe the all the evil things of life the same way we don't owe even the good. The idea which you are speaking that Golden chain is also a chain. Iron chain is also a chain. Both binds. So our aim is to go beyond good and evil. Then why we were trying to do good? The good was helping us to get rid of the evil things. Once I get rid of the evil, now there is no need of the good. You can throw it off. And he was giving a wonderful example. What that when you are passing through a forest... And you accidentally stamp over a thorny bush. And suppose a thorn pierces into your skin. Now what do you do? How to get rid of the thorn? From the same bush, you pluck out another thorn. And with this second thorn, you pluck out the thorn which has pierced into your screen. And after that, you throw away both the thorns. None of them are of any use to you. You throw away both of them. So good deeds are like the thorn with which you pluck out the thorn which has already entered you, the bad deeds. And after that, both has to be thrown. You owe none of them. And that entails the spiritual liberation, the spiritual freedom. So that's where Swamiji has uh, brought us in the last class we found that that's the idea where he has brought us. Now naturally we will try to understand that why we should try to get rid of also the good. So now Swamiji will continue with his discussion to take us to that point that how good and evil both are bondage. At last we have to forsake both of them. So let us now resort to the uh, text and continue with our discussion on this topic. Liberation means entire freedom. Freedom from the bondage of good as well as from the bondage of evil. A golden chain is as much a chain as an iron one. There is a thorn in my finger and I use another to take the first one out and when I have taken it out, I throw both of them aside. I have no necessity for keeping the second thorn because both are thorns after all. So the bad tendencies are to be counteracted by the good ones and the bad impressions on the mind should be removed by the fresh waves of good ones. Until all that is evil almost disappears. or is subdued and held in control in a corner of the mind. But after that, the good tendencies have also to be conquered so this idea this until all the evil is all uh, almost disappears or is subdued and held in control in a corner of the mind you know this swamiji what is speaking casually actually itself makes a huge subject that this line until all evil is almost disappears or is subdued or held in control this or held in control in a corner of the mind This simple phrase actually speaks of the entire subject of mindfulness. That in our day-to-day life that nowadays we find this mindfulness, the mindful meditation, mindfulness has been accepted even in the academic field that it, it, it is not only therapeutic, it really helps us to Deal with the day to day challenges of life. That what it means to keep it in the corner of a mind, held it in a corner of a mind. If you are mindful, then what happens? Uh, Scopes will come to discuss elaborately on this point. I will just give one example. In the life of Swami Sharadananda, the first general secretary of Ramakrishna Mission, one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, a very exalted spiritual soul. So when he was a senior monk as a general secretary of our order, one day a young monk, a young novice came to him and was just relating his difficulties. He was saying that by the grace of Guru Maharaj, you are so in such an exalted situation that you don't have to fight with your mind. You never have any crude thoughts. Your mind is so elevated. But our condition, you see, is so helpless. We cannot help. The mind again and again goes to the better things of life. And sometimes we get exhausted fighting with them. So what's the way out? Then Swami Sharadananda replied very nicely. He told, don't think that in our mind there is no as such bad thoughts, evil thoughts, negative thoughts. It's the nature of the mind to have all the good thoughts as well as the evil thoughts. It's there until you have refined your mind totally there may be some good thoughts but yes the evil thoughts also exist. As Sri Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example that what's the difference between an ordinary being who has developed some taste for, for spirituality and the one who has who is spiritually free, means who has attained liberation. What is the difference? Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the ordinary human being is just like a housefly. And the spiritually liberated soul is like a bee. The bee always sips honey. It never sips any dirty thing. The housefly sometimes sits on all the filth and sometimes also in honey so that's our mind as if like like the ordinary housefly it has something good something evil we have to continue till we can totally refine our mind that it always sit on honey then what to do till then that's the thing that we can at least at the present control our mind by keeping all the thoughts in a corner of the mind don't allow them to sprout and then swami shardhananda gave that wonderful example don't think that our mind has no negative tendencies. It has. But you know what's the difference between you and me? And he gave a wonderful example. What he was saying is very interesting. He told, suppose you are sitting in your room and you are busy in something. Your mind is totally engaged in something. Uh, for the, maybe you're reading newspaper or it's, it's a pres- if it's the present day, you are watching the TV. And outside suddenly a speck of cloud develops in the corner of the sky and then layers after layers the clouds go on developing and then suddenly the entire sky is dark and then there is thunderstorm and then it starts raining heavily and there's this, along with a very strong wind and then suddenly you find a splash of this rain water has started entering into your room. It started drenching even you. It started drenching the room. And then you are taken almost uh, by surprise. That when I just, when before I started watching the TV, the weather was so good, how it changed suddenly, I haven't noticed. As my mind was totally absorbed in watching the television, I haven't noticed, suddenly the thing has happened. And now I find it difficult because of the strong winds to go and close the window. And by the time I do it, my room is drenched. So Swami Shardhananda told that is your mind. And for my mind, in my mind also there is a speck of cloud. That negativity is there. But for me, it's not like you. That I'm totally, I never get lost in the a. Uh, I mean, never get totally absorbed in the things which I am doing. A part of my mind is always awake. In English, there is a wonderful proverb. The sign of purity is vigilance. The price of purity is vigilance. The mind always is vigilant. And he says a wonderful thing that I see that the cloud is developing. The layers after layers of the clouds are developing and then there's a uh, what, the, uh, what do you say that uh, the, the winds have started blowing and then i am, i am I, I can assume that at any moment it's going to splash have a uh, it will there, there will be rain and i am sufficiently prepared to take the actions accordingly before it drenches my room i can manage i can just close the windows and that's where what happens that the same rainfall is there it has drained in the same way but as i was vigilant at last it couldn't totally take me aback it i have taken sufficient measure to close the windows and avoid the drenching of my room so that's the example swami Shardandi is giving it's very interesting in the modern psychology Almost the same what that RAIN example is used as an acronym. They say that what's the way of mindfulness for that they use RAIN acronym, R-A-I-N is used as an acronym, where R means recognize, don't run away from your emotions. To give another example, we will come to this RAIN acronym, it will be easily understood with the help of an example. Suppose. I am angry. Why? That when I was in my office, I had some fight with one of my colleagues. And when I'm back at my home, I'm relaxing. Suddenly I remembered that occasion and I find that terrible anger is growing up in my mind. And now to get rid of that anger, what I do, I just turn on the TV and just try to distract my mind by doing something else. That way we can never take care of the anger. The next day when I'm in the office, I will find that suddenly some words are coming off of my of my mouth. Once I have told, I cannot really just take them back, but now I repent. I find that I never thought i should be, i I would be so crude. It actually uh, tarnishes my record, but almost i was uh, I spoke out those words even though actually consciously, I never wanted to do it. It happened. Why it happens? Because the anger was still there. I have never taken care of it. If I would have taken care of it. How instead of running away from it, I have to recognize it. That rain, R is a recognizing. Accept it. Don't try to run away. It the a means after recognizing that yes, anger is in my mind. Now immediately I don't want to get rid of it. I accept it. Instead of running, away from the problem. I run into the problem. How? By accepting it, you will find a wonderful thing. You know, investigate the nature of the anger. I means investigation. If you investigate the nature of the anger, you will find a wonderful thing. Any emotions, anger or any other emotions you will find by itself never. It can never sustain itself. uh, uh, Just without being nourished by the past or by the future. It cannot sustain itself. Any emotion has to be nourished by the past or the future or both of them. How? When I am angry or any other emotions you take. Now we just, for the sake of the example, we take that anger. When you're you're angry, what is happening? Constantly you are remembering the past, what has happened, that incidence. And that is fueling your anger, which at present you have nothing to do with it. You are at home relaxing, but it is the past which is nourishing it. And not only that, you're anticipating, you're planning something, that tomorrow when I am in office, I will say him such and such as a revenge, as a way to prove myself that I I have the capacity to deal with you what all things I will say that all anticipations goes on in your mind. You're planning something. So that is of the future. So the anger is fed by the past and by the future. It has nothing to do with the present. If I would have tried to understand that at home, I am here, I'm just relaxing. What I have to do with the anger, that situation is not there. Why should I bring it from the past and go on nourishing it? Let me be in the present, in present with what? Not with the TV with anger. I will say anger, you are welcome. I recognize you. I accept you. But I'm investigating you. When I investigate, I found that you need the past and the future to be nourished. That I won't allow. That aim means negation. Now I negate the past and the future to nourish you. I'm quite happy with you. You stay with me. But I won't allow the past and the future to nourish you. That's how I'm negating and you find the anger is gone. So what has happened? That the emotion is still there, that I am not so spiritually evolved that if someone abuses me, I don't get angry. All those emotions are still there, but I can control them and keep them in a corner of mind with that type of mindfulness. That's the RAIN acronym. So it is this vigilance, which is very important in our spiritual journey. So know it for certain, Purity is not innocence. If innocence was purity, then all the children are sufficiently pure. What happens to them when they start growing up, when they reach puberty and suddenly we find that 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 innocent child has started changing. All sorts of tendencies which I have never seen have started manifesting and we get shocked. What has happened? They were in the psyche. They were yet to find manifestation. So innocence is not purity. Purity is just the opposite. It is the maturity through experience. You go through the experiences of life and learn. That learning is very important. We don't learn. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the camel thrives on thorny bush. It bleeds. But again it will go on eating the thorny bush. It never learns. It bleeds and again it does the same thing. Ramakrishna is saying that we also never learn. We go on doing the same thing again and again. If we learn, then what happens? Then that spiritual evolution starts. That's what Swami Sharadananda used to say. That what is life? That life is a chain of experiences. And what is the aim of life? What is the aim of life? To learn from those experiences. Unless we learn, then what's the use of those experiences? And once you learn, then what happens? Now you become alert, you become vigilant. So that's the thing which is being indicated, just a small phrase. So many ideas are actually uh, as if, uh, 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 what you say that stored into it, that is held in the corner of the mind, so many things that until all evil, uh, what you say, this all evil f- almost disappears. That's for the one who has is totally evolved for him there is no evil thought at all or is subdued that it has not disappeared it has been subdued how it has been subdued by developing the capacity to keep it in the corner of the mind so that speaks of your journey has started though your aim is to clean the mind totally so swamiji is saying in a one line one phrase but you will find it actually speaks of an entire subject of the mindfulness but after that the good tendencies have also to be conquered. So here now he enters into the real spiritual journey. That dharma, religion is in the, in, in a primary sense, is that which helps us to maintain the integration. Dharaya Teti Dharma. So that way the good, all the good tendencies are to be developed to integrate our personality. And without that, we simply disintegrate. So first you integrate yourself. But that's not all. You have to get rid of the good tendencies. Why? Just before going into the uh, Swamiji's words, to give a very common idea that what our scripture speaks of, the ultimate goal of human life is liberation. Liberation means what? that I need not come back to this physical world of existence. Liberation. Now, if you have developed an aptitude for meditation, you like meditation very much. Now, again, that though it is good, it's a very good tendency that the bliss you enjoy of meditation, now you have got stuck to it. Now, just to meditate again, you have to be born again if that meditation hasn't taken you to the liberation. So that's the idea that I like reading good books. I like doing good things. All these good tendencies will bring me back though I may have a higher life, though I may be born as the Devatas. But once those, the results of those good actions are over, again, I have to come back down to this physical level of existence. That's what's the idea which has been spoken of in our scriptures. So that we will feel, find that even in the Bhagavad Gita, that the idea is, Te Tam in the ninth chapter, the 21st sloka, they speak of that because of your good deeds, you accrue the results in a higher birth. But when the results have been totally exhausted, again you have to come down to this level of existence. There is no liberation for you. So, the good deeds, though, are something which is better than all the evil ways of life, but it's not the ultimate. It still keeps us bound. It's a golden chain, like an iron chain, it still binds me. So, that's in the Bhagavad Gita, the 21st sloka. In the 9th chapter, they say that, Tetang bhutva svargalokam vishalam. In the higher planes, when you have enjoyed the results of your good action, kshine punye once all the punya the results of the good action is exhausted kshina means to get exhausted when they get exhausted then what happens Lokan vishanti. again you have to come down to this plane of existence so you continue in this cycle of birth and death so in that way it doesn't serve the ultimate purpose so what actually is required in the bhagavad gita the same uh, we will find the same chapter the 28th sloka there they are being mentioned that what should be your attitude then that shubha shubha yoga vimukta that by dedicating all your work to me means to the lord to the Paramatma, you will be freed from the bondage of good and bad results. In this life, whatever action we do, as Swamiji told that it has, if even if I'm doing something good, some evil accrues out of it. I cannot have a pure good action. And even if I have, I will have to accrue the results of it. For the bad, I have to accrue the results of it. And it will go on. So what's the way out? I cannot stop working. So go on working but without any sense of that expectation for the results, dedicate, offer all the works to the Lord. That's the idea which we find has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita. And that's the thing Swamiji is gradually now entering into. So by dedicating all your works to me, you will be freed from the bondage of good and bad results. With your mind attached to me, through renunciation, you will be liberated and will reach me. So it is not, the, our aim in life is not to do good actions. Of course, we have to first reform ourselves to get rid of the evil by doing good. But ultimately, whatever I, have, I do, I have to do in a detached manner. That alone can entail liberation. So this detachment is the thing which ultimately speaks of our spiritual evolution. So that's the topic in which Swami Vivekananda is now entering. Does the attached becomes the unattached? Work, but let not the action or the thought produce a deep impression on the mind. Let the ripples come and go. Let huge actions proceed from the muscles and the brain, but let them not make any deep impression on the soul. So now Swami Vivekananda will give an example that how the deep impressions created by our attachment becomes the cause of bondage. We will just give an example, day to day example. How can this be done? So now he will start uh, explaining it. We see that the impression of any action to which we attach ourselves remains. I may meet hundred of persons during a day, and among them meet also one whom I love. And when I retire at night, I may try to think of all the faces I saw, but only that face comes before before the mind, the face which I met perhaps only for one minute, and which I loved. All the others have vanished. My attachment to this particular person caused a deeper impression on my mind than all the other faces. Physiologically the impressions have all been the same. Every one of the faces that I saw pictured itself on the retina and the brain took the pictures in and yet there was no similarity of effect upon the mind. Most of the faces perhaps were entirely new faces about which I had never thought before but that one face of which I got only a glimpse found associations inside, perhaps I had pictured him in my mind for years, knew hundreds of things about him. And this one new vision of him awakened hundreds of sleeping memories in my mind. And this one impression having been repeated perhaps a hundred times more than those of the different faces together will produce a great effect on the mind. So, the thing to which we are attached, that creates, what do you say, the turmoil in our mind. How it happens, uh, even the, uh, you will find, uh, even in the modern psychology, the same idea is dealt with, with the concept of mental modules. It's a very wonderful concept. Even in yoga uh, philosophy, we have that uh, idea of mental modules, though they term it something different. What's the mental module? They said, our mind is not one mind. There are many mental modules. They're all independent. How independent? They have their own stimuli response conditioning, fixed. All our decisions in life, we think we take decisions, we don't take decisions. Now there are so many mental modules. A particular module which gets activated at a particular time takes the decision as per the decision already fixed in it. We're Giving us a feeling I have taken the decision, it never happens. There are so many mental modules, not one module. As per the circumstances, a particular module gets activated and the, all the responses are based on the response fixed for that particular module. We will find it in our day-to-day life, when you are at home with your children, you're a different person compared to the one who, the same man, the same person when he's at office, again, the same person when he's with his friends, again, the same person when he is uh, uh, with the subordinates. So in different situations, you will find their mind is different. It's not the same mind. It has its own stimuli response conditioning particular set of stimulus response condition for each circumstances. What has happened? As per the circumstance, a particular module gets activated and it has its own fixed responses. We cannot change it, but it somehow gives us the impression that the mind, that particular module is reacting in a particular way, giving us the impression that it is we who are reacting. Constantly it is happening. Uh, Today, we will uh, just uh, end the class with early uh, because we have another session today of the prayer session today. Uh, uh, just that this, just I will give a hint of this example and we will carry on with the discussion in the next class. In the modern psychology they have dealt with this subject in a very very vivid manner. What is that? That this mental modules just in common example that a lady is passing down the street and she hears the barking of a dog. And she, she even doesn't see the dog, just heard the barking. And she starts running frantically. She screams and runs frantically. The same lady, the next day, now she's carrying a child. And now you, what will happen, These is an example Swami Vivekananda is giving, that what to speak of the barking of a dog, even if a lion comes in the front, Today, you will find the lady is acting totally in a different way. Now, she will guard the child and face the lion today. Today, she is totally different. She is, has tremendous courage. She is even ready to give away her life. Why it happens? Sometimes we praise the mother that, oh, so much she is even ready to sacrifice her life for that of the child. But you will find in nature what to speak of human. Even in animals, it is the same thing. The mother is always ready to save its life, uh, to give away its life to save the life of the child. Why it happens? The same lady who was scared of the barking of the dog. Now this will give you an idea of the mental modules. When she was alone and she heard the barking of the dog, it is a self-protection module that got activated, which says, run. There's danger, you run. That's the reflex. The next day when she's with the child, it is the child protection module that gets activated. You may say, why? why not the self-protection module? It's not my decision. The nature has programmed us in that way. That once you have the child, the nature's work with you is finished. Now the nature knows it will be sustained with the next generation, with the small one. It has to be alive so that the nature continues. So the nature has programmed us in such a way. When it comes to the protection of the child, self-protection module won't get activated. It is a child protection module that gets activated. It has nothing to do with our decision. That's why we are saying this. With that, the ego doesn't arise. We know that it is a very good thing to protect the child. But it is very what you say that everything we get spoiled when the ego comes to picture. When the mother starts saying the grown up child that you know for you, I was ready to give away my life and starts expecting. So you will understand now this. So just if you take the picture, it was a wonderful thing, what has happened? When the danger was there, the child was there, it is a child protection module that got activated and now the mother is ready to even give away the life. So all the decision happens as per the module. It is not we who are taking the decision. And there are innumerable modules in the mind. Which module will get activated? As per the circumstances, a particular module will be activated. That's one thing. And the modules which we have pampered a lot. They've been nourished, fed by us. They will be again and again, trying to be pampered. We will come to that point and try to understand that how non-detachment is the way to get rid of these vagaries of the mind that the mind cannot disturb us anymore if we practice the detachment in our work in our meditation that's the main thing that will be discussed uh, as we proceed but just to give an idea of that how the mind works and we will try to relate that the uh, idea of this modern psychology with examples swamiji is giving we will relate and for that we will Uh, take this discussion again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Namaskar Swamiji. Thank you very much. Namaskar. Thank you Swamiji. Namaskar. And now we have just a, for announcement, there is a uh, prayer meeting. Uh, uh, We will uh, again uh, just join those who want to join the prayer meeting.